This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. In death, there are no accidents, no coincidences, no mishaps, and no escapes. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, this is the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! I'm Rachel. I'm Austin. I'm Leo. I'm Tim. I'm Trevor. I'm Lauren. And, and we're the this week, our guest is writer, director, producer, Glenn Morgan. Help it coming now. Who knew this day was gonna happen? Hey, it's Glenn Morgan, and you're hanging out with the Boo Crew. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. In 1961, Glenn Morgan was born in Syracuse, New York. In 1979, Glenn Morgan played Mr. Applegate in Olan Valley High School production of Damn Yankees. In 1985, Glenn Morgan wrote the film The Boys Next Door with James Wong, starring Charlie Sheen, directed by Penelope Spears. In 1986, Glenn Morgan starred in the horror classic Trick or Treat, acting alongside Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne, featuring the music of Fastway, which is Dave from Flagamali's first band. Did you guys know oh, that? No, no, I didn't know that. Fantastic singer. <laughs> wow. Very nice man. That's it. Show's over. <laughs> no, we did his cruise, that crazy St. Patrick's Day cruise. Oh, nice. The free, all the free whiskey you could... Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> that shit was crazy. <laughs> no, Dave's cool, man. Fastway's dope, too. 1989, Glenn Morgan wrote... 14 episodes of the TV series 21 Jump Street. Hell yeah. Oh, young and very good looking Johnny Depp. <laughs> 1991, Glenn went on to work on the show The Commish. He wrote eight episodes for that fantastic show starring Michael Chitlis, who went on to do some great stuff. Shield. Yeah, Shield. Shield's dope. 1993, Glenn joined X-Files. Episodes creating some of the classic monsters ever on TV, yeah. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. In 1995, Glenn created and wrote Space Above and Beyond, one of my favorite shows of all time, starring the very talented Kristen Cloak. Yes. 1996, he worked on Millennium, writing 15 episodes. 2000, Glenn wrote the Final Destination movie. Launching a very successful franchise directed by his friend Jim Wan. 2003, Glenn wrote the screenplay and directed the film Willard, starring Crispin Glover. In 2006, Glenn wrote and directed the remake of Black Christmas. 
starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Kristen Cloak. In 2014, Glenn developed and wrote Those Who Kill, starring Chloe Savini. 2014, Glenn and Kristen Cloak wrote Intruders, starring Millie Brown, her first major role. Adapted from the novel. And finally, 2019, Glenn Morgan produced and wrote one episode but produce the reboot of the Twilight Zone Boo Crew. Let's give a warm welcome for Glenn Morgan. Yeah. Again. No, nothing I say is going to be as cool as this room. <laughs> I can take the whole time to describe it. It's really amazing. <laughs> Thank you. So I saw Willard opening weekend and I saw Black Christmas opening weekend. So it'd be safe to say right here, I am your core audience. <laughs> Has your career uh, been a failure? No, no, <laughs> nah, I love your films, man. No, and, when we know. first met, you're like, I saw Willard in the theater. I'm like, wow, you're like one of 12 people. No, nah, that film, was, <laughs> that was a great film. Thank you. Well, I love the original, you know, with uh, Bruce Davison and Ernest Borgnine. And the original Black Christmas was a big influence on you. Well, that should be a big influence on anybody that does horror. I think that Carpenter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Li- oh, yeah. Liberally borrowed yes. from yeah. Bob Clark's. And it's a great movie. Yeah, they consider that one one of the modern slashers, right? One of the first ones it's after Psycho, of course. It, right? Yeah, right. No, totally. You know, I mean, uh, you know, it's Halloween, Christmas. Right. <laughs> but like that wide angle handheld following people. I, I, didn't he return to the house and all that stuff? I mean, there's a lot of similarities. I got to know Bob Clark through doing that. I mean, he made Porky's, Porky's and Christmas right. Story and yep. Murder by Decree. He was a great filmmaker and really overlooked. He covers every genre. Those are very... <laughs> yeah, how do you make three movies that are super successful that define that, the genre? That all, yeah, exactly. They all define you know, the he, genre they're in. He told me Christmas Story made in 79 or something for $4 million. 400,000 was his money so he could shoot in Cleveland or Toronto when it was snow. And whenever we were making Black Christmas 2006, he was sad because he was having to sue Warner Brothers because they claimed that it had not made money. Oh, wow. Even though they had made two sequels and it plays on TBS. I'm like, Bob, I have two different DVDs. (laughs) (laughs) That's the modern Christmas classic. Once they stopped doing uh, It's a Wonderful Life, that became the go-to Christmas movie. No, it's a great movie. Your most recent thing you've been working on is Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? That was being developed by Simon Kinberg, who was nominated for Oscar for adapting The Martian, and he's mm-hmm. he's shepherded the X-Men. An executive there, Audrey Chan, had just said, Jordan Peele, you're not in this business as a writer, especially if Twilight Zone's not the first thing. Basically, Twilight Zone changed television writing. Yeah. Like, oh, like yeah. television yeah. writing has not really been the same since that, right? Like yep. it was kind of a game changer. I've been saying it's true. You know, I, we all did, I think, learned about, you know, the dangers of bigotry and hubris and greed from the Twilight Zone long before Shakespeare, you know, hmm. because we're all watching it on syndicated and everything. Rod Serling, certainly, but Richard Matheson wrote, uh, you know, and he did Duel and I Am Legend. Yeah. I mean, he was a I mean, he really influenced Stephen King. I love the Matheson Twilight Zones. And Ray Bradbury. Ray Bradbury, Charles Beaumont. Uh, oh, that yeah. was the one my brother, that was the one where they kept the devil. It was an old man. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. In a monastery, yeah, yeah. and then John Carradine was keeping him locked up right, there. And that's then right. And pulled the onk, and then he, you know, it's this great thing. He goes, ah, ha, 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 the devil. <laughs> <laughs> 
So was there a certain aesthetic that you guys try to kept? You kind of kept the original vibe of the Twilight Zone. You know, we're really trying. One thing that's tough is that these are an hour. Mm-hmm. And Twilight Zone year four was an hour. I think half hour would be more in line. But what we're trying to do is that everybody remembers the twists and the monsters as we should. But Serling went to genre because they were not letting him talk about social issues on regular storytelling. So he went into genre to be able to talk about bigotry and uh, McCarthyism and stuff. And so that's what we were really trying to keep a hold of, the social issues. Do you have a favorite Twilight Zone episode from the OG Twilight Zone? I could watch Terror at 20,000 feet every day. <laughs> yes, yes. What, what is that creature, by the way? It looks like a half man. Half I read man. that it's Burt Lancaster's old um, acrobat partner. Really? Really? The guy that wow. is in there. And he did a couple other famous things, too. That's just a, here's the thing. This is a gremlin. You know, Tim and I go on about the suits. And now the notes would be, where did the gremlin come from? Why does, why does he <laughs> want to eat electricity? What's the what gremlin's inner monologue? And right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fucking gremlin. Because well, they want to spin off the gremlin. If the gremlin's then popular, then they need <laughs> to know. <laughs> so they can own that property. And it's cool because it's not no no CG. It's a dude in a fucking yeah. suit. And the guy standing scary. there in a little costume. He just kind of yeah. floats in. That shit kill, it kills it. <laughs> well, right. it's funny. Like gremlin, that used to be the thing, right? Before everything was a thing. Right. Is that a gremlin was that was it a gremlin was just like a, the ghost the, in the machine from the second world war i don't know those british pilots started that when they dive bomb there'd be a mechanical failure and they would say oh they're gremlins on the wings so that's where it kind of oh interesting all the warner brothers movies that's what i was thinking yeah that. yeah i think that's where that originated from oh so it was a new idea 59 or whatever wow. but that was enough yeah. the gremlin was the thing yeah i also like this one called night call that was later that Jacques oh. Tournier did, who did the original Cat People. And it was yeah. like this old lady was getting a phone call. Like, hello. He's like, don't call me. And then it turns out to be like her fiance who died in a car. And like oh. he always did everything he told her. She told him to do. She says, stop calling me from the dead. Huh. He does. Wow. <laughs> it's awesome. It's I just it. it's really oh, different. Yeah, okay, I gotta watch that. I feel like I used to watch the marathon for Thanksgiving. I would get so excited when right. I was a kid. Because yeah, totally. they had the marathon and I was like, Yes. Mm-hmm. Episode after episode. I could watch it, yeah, nonstop. Yeah. Keep watching it. Tim, you have a, 200 of them, so marathon. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, do you have a favorite episode? All of them. I love them all. How about you, Leo? Talking Tina. Tell you something oh, else. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a creepy episode. Yeah, we are also fun. trying to do a lot of Easter eggs, so our prop guys are amazing, and so they have Talking Tina's all over, like in a Christmas tree. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. Cool. Background, and then the gremlin is uh, like a little kid has at the airport, like a stuffed toy. The prop guy, Tyler, he comes to me one day and he says, um, He's, he's all nervous because his prop buyer had just kind of on a whim knew that this ventriloquist style Willie that was in two episodes is owned by David Copperfield oh. and it's kept in a museum in Las Vegas. And so Tyler comes and said his buyer had um, reached out to David Copperfield in an email and he's like, Copperfield will let us do it, but he wants to talk to exec producer. So no one wants, I get handed that one. <laughs> And I'm out in a parking lot talking to David Copperfield, going, yeah, you can have it. (laughs) (laughs) But all I want is, you know, just kind of make a cool reference about me. <laughs> like on, uh, he said on um, Seth Meyers and Colbert, like they'll go like, you were Copperfielded if you disappeared or something, which is what the episode was kind of about. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So he sends it. And then I hear it's in the office. It's up in Vancouver. And um, you know, it was like in November, it gets dark at 4.30 and it's rainy. And I'm like, I go down there to this prop place, just a mess of stuff. You're just living my dreams right yeah, now. Yeah, right? I love it. <laughs> I'm like, Tyler, show me Willie. And he goes to a big safe, pulls it out and was in two pieces. The thing is like, 
like almost 100 years old because it had a 30-year life in vaudeville oh, wow. before Twilight Zone. Wow, used oh, that's incredible. Like the screws and the gears inside are just so small and frail. And it's like, and then, you know, the head was kind of reddish makeup because the film's better on black and white. That doesn't sound and they had, yeah, they, they, really, they had a little scar from when he played Al Capone on the show. Aww. And I was like, here's this thing that my brother and I just sitting on a couch in Syracuse, New York, watching over and over. And like, you're just in a room. It's like, clearly belongs in the Smithsonian or something. It was just made the whole experience worth it. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, probably one of my favorite episodes was probably To Serve Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just, just well, we that have one. that alien on a it's breakfast a cereal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I love that episode so much, and someone else pointed this out and put it better than I'd ever thought, but the whole thing just, it's just a, an elaborate setup for a pun joke. Right. Yeah, Jordan right. Peele called it a dad joke. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The whole episode just a dad joke. Yeah. It's yeah. so funny. What is your involvement as far as like, are you actively on set for every single episode as it's been shooting for the new Twilight Zone series? I'm assuming it's in Vancouver yep. for the most part. Uh, not every single one, but um, I worked hard. Work on the scripts. Jordan and Simon, they got a lot of good um, young directors. I know you guys are fans of Lily. Um, yeah, before, that's who, so yeah. cool. Yeah. She's she, great. I would have brought her here, but she's making a movie in, I think, Louisiana. Oh, another time. She's still <laughs> oh, she's yeah. the best. And uh, Christina Cho did this movie, Nancy. Was, I don't know. It was quite a horror movie with Buscemi. And um, Craig McNeil did uh, Lizzie with Chloe, about Lizzie Borden with Chloe Seven. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of really good directors like that. So it's just like you don't, you're just kind of there to go, well, we're doing this. Eh, we're doing that. Let me ask you a question. What, oh, I don't know oh this sounds heavy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's heavy. It's an episode that features the Interrupters. Yeah. In the cold open. No oh, way. And it's literally cool. the Interrupters song is kind of the uh, star of this. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> Twice in the episode. Once it's very positive and once it's kind of sad. How did that happen? Like, who talked to who? Get the Interrupters. One of my favorite bands of all time. There's a crew going to Mars, and when they're about to launch, there's a hold for the crew, and they go through a countdown, and the crew plays "Family" and sings along to it as a bonding type of thing. And I told them it was really great to hear the suits go. I love that. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> yeah. you know. That's a catchy tune. <laughs> <laughs> then it, can yeah. we say when it reappears? It's kind of like Act 3, I guess. Is that the language? Yeah, Act 4. Act 4, yeah. and it's things have kind of gone bad, and it's same song plays, but they all have a different reaction. Yeah, so I, yeah, I wrote that episode, and I'm like, I needed that, and I'm like, that's kind of different. And Did a song, did you have other, did, were there other alternate songs besides the Interrupters? No, I mean, I, I just, I love that song, and it was yeah. like a kind of thing that you can uh, not have to, no offense, you don't have to sing. You know, you can yell, because I had a mother. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> shout it out. <laughs> you can shout it. I shout, you know. I'll never be allowed in a job. <laughs> I know, listen. I know my, my, my role in the, the food chain of music. <laughs> and my vocal range is not my uh, forte. No, it really, uh, it really works well. What's your first experience with the horror genre? Growing up as a kid, were there any movies that influenced you or made you fall in love with horror? Look, it's always the same. There was, I grew up in upstate New York in Syracuse, and I think it was Channel 3. Saturday at 1 o'clock would be the monster movie matinee, and they'd have, you know, like, the Creature of Black Lagoon theme. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then it would be the 
was like it, it like eternal move of a slow model and you'd go in it was like dr eddie something like that and he'd have these long nails and it was sort of a mashup I, of, a, of a yeah i've seen that cold open you can find it online yeah, you know it's on it's on youtube but that yeah. was like oh so they he just showed the whole canon for all of us you know the wolfman and what was there's a one film that really said man this is happening i relate to this but isn't it different every no matter what you are i mean because when you're a kid you're like and still i know uh your guest from the one that came out today the wolfman right yeah. Yeah. but you know Mallory. i never saw those movies in a theater until college now we see it in like some art we house. saw it at lacma one LACMA. LACMA. oh yeah right. super arty <laughs> But that's cool. You we know were the youngest people in the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, what a great film. A great film. God damn it. I wish yeah. they made more films like that. Can you talk to somebody? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'd watch those films and then like my dad, who didn't know it, but he was really one of my best film teachers. Not anymore. I don't know what happened to him. But, um, <laughs> but he would go, you know, he'd, he'd watch it and say, you know, the best monsters are the ones that don't want to be. Right, yeah. Oh. Like Frankenstein. Yeah, right. Yeah. I don't know about Dracula. Right. But then if you get in the Coppola thing, <laughs> right. that legend, yeah. he oh, yeah. like, didn't want to be. And I thought, so you just watch those movies over and over and over like that. And then when you get older, you get to see Psycho and everything's the world changes what are your top 10 right now i know it changes well i'm a little different from you guys i have a more you know i like you're that. more intellectual let's be honest it's okay well, bergman's year of the wool it's okay no but like what is right now you like cool stuff it's always psycho yeah. which i guess is art i don't know you guys have the definition of horror does that have to be paranormal no, 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 no. So, yeah. it's all subgenres. Yeah. It's either yeah. what was the rule? Someone said there's three: it's monsters, Slasher. paranormal, and, and humans. Yeah, yeah, humans. Yeah, Stephen King said that, right? Yeah, yeah. maybe it's yeah, someone like that. But it was like yes. man is monster, beast is monster, ghost yeah. paranormal monster something like that my favorite are the ones where the horror originates seems to originate from something going on with that person's life. So, like, say The Exorcist, Alan Burson's getting a divorce. Or the Omen, they can't have children. Uh, contextual. Right. Contextual. Yeah, right. Uh, Janet Lee's stole the money. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, and so that's always for me. Uh, Rosemary's Baby, they're, yeah, right. that's so, like so, a so woman Janet, empowerment. So, so Janet Lee stole the money, so she was doomed. Well, well, but the interesting thing is you want to take I, it back. She was going to take it back listen, the next man, day. Like, I hang out with you, man. You're so smart. I don't go to you know college. So she takes the money. <laughs> I went to college, and you're way smarter than I am. She took the money. Her bra color changed. Right. It goes from white bra, not that I'm looking. She's also having an affair. Right. So that could be the moral problem for her. True. This was something that happens a lot in horror movies, right? Is once someone, they're morally negative, morally bad. And then once they change and they say, you know what? Okay, I've learned my life. And once they make the decision to go good is when they die or when something right. happens. Right. And that's, well, that's a, probably that's because case. from when they started in the code-ish. Right. If you wanted to show all that stuff and scare people, you had to have the moral. Be like, oh, we're telling this story. That's true. Yeah, that's a you good know. point. Like cat people, like those early right. Uh, right. Van Luten ones. Yeah. Those were all moral tales. Yeah, yeah I love yeah. those. So those are movies I found later because as a kid, they couldn't afford to have a monster. As a kid, <laughs> right. you're like, yeah, this sucks. Which monster? <laughs> <laughs> you get older, you're like, oh, I love this. Right. I, I get it. You know? A lot of those like moral dilemma stories too would show up in early horror comic books like EC Comics right, Tales right. from the Crypt and yeah, Creepy yeah. they're all about the morality of these characters right, right? Yeah. were you influenced by that? Willard that you did has a very EC Comics yeah. 
look to it. Some of the frames, even the way things are shot, has that comic book look to it a little well, bit. Well, that's a really good novel. It was a novel first, and then they made that movie. You know, I think it's just trying to do what I do to it. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. of course, everything you've ever seen or comic book or film. I live close to where they shot that. It's right across from the Wilshire Bell Theater. Oh, cool. Wow. Oh, and, the original uh, Willard? The original oh, house. Yeah. And so the production designer, Mark Freeborn, who's like a brother, he's like, oh, they're having an estate sale. Should go there. So my daughter and I, my oldest daughter and I, like, I were going there. And we go there, and I'm like, I'm getting something from this house, souvenir. I mean, that was like, I just loved that movie when I was a kid. And I go there, and as soon as I walk in, I'm like, oh, this is the set. This is here, and this is there. I'm like, oh, this is the greatest day of my life. I'm like, what am I going to get? Like an ashtray, or what am I going to go? We go down the basement. They had their Halloween things. I'm like, I get the styrofoam skull. I'm like, this kind of sucks. I'm not doing that. And so I'm kind of bummed that we're leaving. And right, I was about to leave. At the corner of my eye, on a mantle, I see a rubber, two rubber rats. And I'm like, um, what are those? <laughs> and the lady goes, well, they made a movie here a long time ago and they use those to fill up the background. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> how, how much money am wow. I giving you? And so she charged me 25 bucks each. Amazing. <laughs> That's so, that was after you had done yours or before? Yeah, probably about a year or two. Oh, wow. Or more than that probably. Wow. Yeah, no, that was cool. So yeah. I have a question about it. Adapt- so because it was a novel... And I always wonder this, you're making your version of the movie, obviously, and your take on the morals and the characters and all that. And it's very different. Your version is definitely a, a different feel and vibe. Are you, I'm, I'm nodding on the radio. <laughs> are you making, okay, so when you adapt it, because you wrote it, are you adapting the novel, the same source material, or are you looking at the original, the screenplay of the 71 version? Yeah, I don't know how to answer that, because I, as a kid, you saw that and you go, oh, it's a novel? Right. And then you read that and you go, oh, there was great stuff that they didn't put in there. Jim and I optioned the right to the movie. I get it. So yeah, because it just came out on Blu-ray, and I was looking at the credits, and I'm like, it doesn't say based on, or on the back. It says based on Ratman's notebooks. And I think it's the same author wrote. Oh, wrote the screenplay? The original screenplay. Oh, really? So oh, my movie is it. based on that screenplay. Gotcha. However, the but the novel's big... an influence. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And you're, um, yeah. you're influenced by a lot of directors. I do know you're a big fan of Stanley Kubrick. What would be your favorite of all Kubrick's films? Three, space, two. Space, space Odyssey. <laughs> now, Space, can I ask you a question? Is Space Odyssey, can it be considered? A horror film, because Hal's kind of a monster. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, Hal coming alive uh, to destroy man. That's sure. right. Why not? Yeah, he's very menacing. I was scared. Unless you don't know what the ultimate aliens are. Right. 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 How do you classify that film? What is Just it? awesome. You have horrors in the opening uh, scenes with the with the apes. Oh, you know, it's like, man. It's like, you know, they learn how to use tools, and then right. what do they yeah. do? Yeah. Go to violence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's a book that came out last March about the making of it. It's phenomenal. I like them all. I like Barry Lyndon. If you could buy a prop from it for $25, what would you buy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what the hell? <laughs> Someone has that. I think it's Peter Jackson, actually. He has a howl? Yeah, he's got the howl. Yeah, he's wow, got the howl really? eye. That's did, right. did you guys see the exhibit? Glenn, did you see that? exhibit when I was at yeah, of course Lachlan. yeah one thing you notice about Kubrick films when you see it in the cinema is how fucking loud it is yeah I saw Clockwork Orange in the cinema recently and that was a loud freaking film out the gate that opening scene with the orange yeah. screen yeah it was like whoa I had no idea this is that freaking loud and think about it in the time when, when it came out TV, the, you don't think about it that's true you know, but like a super X? loud synth like yeah. that yeah. music was not it was hostile. You, not yet. Exactly. The volume of that yeah. film is hostile to me. I loved it, though. It's a hostile movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, I worked with, uh, Willard was with Lee Ermey, who was in Full Metal Jacket. 
I had worked with Lee before. Gunny. Right, right. Space right. Beyond pilot. That was like, so Lee, you really Kubrick really do that many takes? <laughs> Oh, hell no, no. That's all bullshit. I, I never did more than 38 takes. Whoa. <laughs> what? Yeah, the, the footlocker just wouldn't turn over like I wanted it to or something. I'm like, oh. Wow. And so then, you know, the rule of directing or from film school, whatever, is like, don't give an actor a line reading. So I'd like really go out of my way and he'd, I go, well, if maybe it's like this. Maybe you're a little curious about that or whatever. And he goes, just tell me what, just tell me how you want me to say it, Glenn. I'm like, well, I don't want to tell you how to do that. He goes, Stanley did it to me all the time. <laughs> I'm like, oh, then it's okay. You know? It's okay then. I like Eyes Wide Shut too. I like them all. Eyes Wide Shut is, they usually take multiple, multiple viewings to start yeah. to even come close to that one. I haven't. You still haven't got that one yet. I haven't got, yeah. Fantastic film. Tom Cruise. Yeah, Tom is great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> hey, your criteria. P. Cruz. That's P. Cruz. He's a vampire Lestat. He rocked yeah, it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so many more things. Can we talk about Final Destination? Because I really yeah. love all those movies so much. Well, thanks. How hard was it to get things to do certain things? Oh. I can't even imagine. It was like a game of dominoes, some yeah. of these death scenes, right? Uh, well, that was like my job because I did the second unit stuff. Ugh. And so I'd have a crew. And one time I remember the gag was on the third one. It was a roller coaster pipe. We had made 10 foot section of it. And a camera on a strap, video camera on a strap has to come fall off and whoosh, wrap around it. That's so right. So that the roller coaster hits it and then falls off. That is so, and so cool. so we with that crew, we had a plastic bag and everyone put in five bucks <laughs> and everyone bet which take would it be because they're settling in for like 40 takes yeah oh, and um i would be the judge kubrick level yes <laughs> i would be the judge as to what one we're gonna print and so like we just drop the thing does it on the first one. Oh no way no way. <laughs> yeah, did, but, somebody, but, did somebody choose the first one, the first thing? I know. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then uh, there was uh, like, there's one gag where a hammer falls. Oh, the forklift. Uh, oh, yeah. on the forklift. Yeah. That oh, was geez. like 50. You're just sitting there going, what did I do? What punishment am I paying for here? You know, just all day long. That's all you did was like drop things on there. And you have wires sometime and stuff How like close that. was what was shot actually on the paper that you wrote? Or did you get on the set and you're like, you know what? Let's kind of wing it over here a little bit. Or well, Final Destination 3, I spent three days at the Home Depot on Sunset Boulevard going, okay, what could kill you here? That's wild. How could it get to the next, on the next aisle? Yeah, yeah. How could that kill you? And then they find out that there's like chemicals they have to keep apart. Yeah. yeah. Because if they fall and mix, everyone dead. And so you start out with that. And then when you get to what, you know, well, we have to build that set because no place is going to let us shoot there that way. And so then that kind of limits what you do and stuff mm -hmm. like that. That's some, some brutal scenes in that one. I'm, I'm pretty sure later in my head, I'll admit that I think I stole from Omen 2. All that stuff right when the devil. Yeah. This is like a Rube Goldberg stuff. Oh, and that's then, right. And I'm like, oh, I, went, I was watching Omen 2 years later. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> subconscious. Oh, that's man. Influence. <laughs> nothing specific. But yeah. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy 
Another cool thing in those movies, though, is also the misdirection that creates the tension. The different ways that you think someone's going to die and it doesn't happen, right? That's like part of the juice of those movies. I I think the we didn't have anything to do with it. It was uh, David Ellis who's gone now but i thought the opening of the second one on the freeway yes yes i was gonna ask that how does it feel to change the way people feel on the freeway forever oh yeah (laughs) i don't see any effect that was on reddit and they had a video this week and the guy's water skiing and uh, one of the handles or something it goes off and it bounces as a triangle and it goes and it bounces and like oddly just flips right on the guy's neck on his head and then he turns in the camera and gives a thumbs up and all the comments were like the next part of Final Destination (laughs) (laughs) that I'm proud of how did the Final Destination I had heard that it originally started as an X-Files episode idea is that not not that I know of Uh, these guys at New Line came to Jim and I they had a 12 page treatment that I'd never made past page 4 because death was like a like a Igmar Bergman <laughs> he had the hood and the sickle right. yeah I'm like I'm not doing this and then the agents go no you're going there you're going to meet with him and so we go there and I said well the only way we'd do this is if you'd never see death it's just a force and they're like yeah I was shocked every time at Halloween I'm and I see the scream mask I'm like man New Line blew it because there's no monster to buy right. <laughs> <laughs> death by cohesion yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah right so originally it was a concept of a character of the actual grim reaper was going around that was in the in the treatment that was in the treatment yeah, tony wow. todd no tony <laughs> todd was uh that one show i'll never mention i came across tony todd auditioned for the show that was a catastrophe we need a reoccurring character and jim and i always thought tony was great and like oh let's do this mortician guy oh uh, yes that's right you've created a lot of great monsters particularly on x-files i know yes. where this yeah. is going yeah. standalone <laughs> monsters of the weakest that we like to call them probably my favorite monster of all your creations is the band-aid nose man <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that monster and, uh, <laughs> we're gonna talk about uh, that little great episode called home that again. was again home it was a great episode also. Very yeah, creepy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, my wife, Kristen, and I, I think during Willard, we were going to a hockey playoff in Vancouver. The arena's downtown, so we're going down this street, and there's just hundreds of people, thousands of people going south to the game. And there was a man, a homeless man in the street. He had to be like 6'3 or 4". He had a long trench coat, and he just had a thousand-yard stare, and he had a Band-Aid under his nose, attached from one nose to the other. And there was like, we still debate what was seeping Oh, God. oh my gosh. That was his brain. So I'm like, no, nah, oh. it doesn't work that way. That was just terrifying. And so yeah. Kristen and I would call him the Band-Aid Nose Man. And we would tell everybody, I saw this guy, he's a Band-Aid Nose Man. It was like, right came from the portal of hell. And then everybody, yeah, yeah. And then we went to see Jim Rose Circus at a club with my friend Julie. And then we opened up the door and he was standing there again. Oh, like, oh. That's my arm. And I'm like, if I ever had a horse, Alex Files over. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, if I ever had an X-Files, I would do that. So wrote that. I think what we ended up doing was not quite what I had in mind because the real man that we saw was very emaciated. And so then I wrote this part of an underground artist who had kind of inadvertently created the Band-Aid Nose Man. And then when I was writing it, I'm like, this sounds like Tim. I know. <laughs> this sounds like Tim. I just didn't want to risk it because my kids and I went to every Rancid show whenever they showed up. I had four stitches from a show in San Diego. But then we went to Punk Rock Bowling and I was in the pit and I'm like, okay, we're about to go do this episode. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing this. And I get home whenever, a couple of days later and I write out this email <laughs> and I sat there for the longest time going, God, you know, what if he's a dick? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> or what if you want some money? Or this could ruin the rancid thing for my kids and I. And then I just hit send in like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> his manager goes, this is the email of the week. And I think the next day I went and met him and he said he had seen Willard in the theater. So I knew he's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the role, man. I felt like that character was so like conflicted, you know. The trash man. Yeah. People on the streets, the homeless, <laughs> the street people. They ain't got no voice. Yeah, I love that shit. <laughs> Dude, I hear that that episode features some of your original artwork. Oh, yeah. Like the That's big right. stuff, right? The, the right. paintings and stuff. Yeah. That's crazy, man. That's right. The art department loved them, and so he worked with Art Freeborn and all those guys. But, you know, that's a hell of a thing to go in with. Uh, after, you know, 150 years of doing the X-Files, David and Julian are like, okay, when do we leave now? And so when you bring in someone who hasn't done this before, I was like scared shitless for him. <laughs> you know, and like, and then he was performing since I was little. You know what I mean? My whole life I've been a performer. Well, but that's a hard thing to go into. Right. You know, it's a, uh, we shot, this is a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> old mental facility in Vancouver called Riverview. Like the whole end of a Deadpool 2 is Riverview. Oh, it's wow. like everything is filmed there. And like, and then the crew will go, don't go to the fourth floor. No, really? That's a lobotomy room. And like, there's all these ghosts and it's like really a freaky, you know, you could just feel the energy of, what happened to all these poor people so we're down in a boiler room there's a bunch of crew that he doesn't know and there's david and jillian who he watched on the tour bus and you know they're Mulder and scully's like <laughs> everybody's there and i toured a lot right we were lucky to have a tour bus through all that and when rancid blew up or whatever the one show the whole band agreed on that we'd watch on the tour bus was X-Files. Everyone had their own thing but that was one show we could all meet in the middle and watch so we watched a lot of x-files on rancid tour like, so like, yeah, I'm, like you said, like, so here I am with, I guess you guys call them the, the actors. They're the actors, but they're Mulder and Scully. Yeah, Mulder and Scully. <laughs> <laughs> Mulder Scully yeah. But you know what? Jillian's so cool too, man. Like she loves punk rock. Yeah. I thought, cause you know, I guess she went to college in England or something. And I was like, yo, you like, like British stuff. She's like, no, I like Black Flag and Dead Kennedys and Struggle Jerks. I'm like, oh, that's, that's crazy. crazy. <laughs> that's close. She said, yeah. <laughs> I said, damn. So we, we had a connection. You know, yeah, she was nice, and and uh, David was nice too. Yeah, David, like I think halfway through the first day, he's like, "Hey," I look at him, and he like he points at Tim, and I go, "Oh no!" <laughs> and and he, he kind of hid it from him, and he's like, gave me a thumbs up, like he's good. I was like, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> he's a nice guy, nice. super yeah. cool. No, you did a great job. Yeah, yeah. you well, did an amazing job. Thank you guys, and I would love to do it again if it's a right. If it's you, I work for you, a Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. What if we're I'm, both I'm, making movies at the same time? <laughs> oh. No, no, I'm down to work with anybody. You know, I love monsters and spaceships, so there's any directors out there. Yeah. I don't want to play a lawyer or like a doctor. You know what I mean? Unless I'm an evil doctor Ooh, or a that lawyer that, that's a, secretly like a werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't seen that before. I think that's a good movie. There so were so many lines in that episode. Do you think that because you have to memorize lyrics, that helped you with that? Because there's no way I could have remembered any of that it's stuff. It's got to have something to do with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been singing songs with my brother and I since we were like four years old. We started playing music together. But he said, I'm talking about, you talk for yourself, but he said the interesting thing was it was like one line, one line. Oh, yeah. Was yeah. different for him. And I like, why, you know, with your band, you'll sing this verse and then Lars will sing this yeah. verse. Yeah. So I, uh, I thought it was interesting that monologues are easier for me. I could do a paragraph was easier than doing the trade-off thing. That's newer yeah. to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that long opening monologue that you wrote, 
which I love so much, super fun to do. But then actually acting with them was fun, but it was like a little different. I loved it though. No, I tried to get him on a couple Twilight Zone, but he was touring. <laughs> <laughs> no, for real. Like, it's crazy. Like, every time we, you got me a role, I Rancid had a big show we had to play. Like that's that right. Blitz. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, listen, acting's cool, but music's my day job, man. I can't quit my day job, you know? But yeah, I'd love to act again, of course. It was fun. So, Glenn, this podcast is actually TVMA, VLSD, Mature Audience only. And I mention that because... Going back to X-Files season four, the episode you wrote. I was nervous there for a minute. (laughs) 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 Episode title Home. Yeah. Dude, it's one of the best X-Files episode ever. And that changed the game. That's a scary freaking episode. It aired once on Fox and never since, right? No, they can't. uh, Oh, on the network. The first time on the network. I I know this is blasphemy here. I had not seen texas chainsaw wow really yeah i don't know it was like everybody's got a couple films that slipped by them years later i worked on a tv show with toby hooper and so that's i saw it later but kristen had said to me um you got to see this documentary uh brother's keeper Oh, yeah. Yep. Which, Joe and, Berlinger. Uh, yeah, that's right. And, yeah. Uh, that's right. And um, she goes, oh, it's like this thing in Arkansas, like this family and this incestuous brothers in Arkansas. And then we started watching his Onondaga County. I'm like, this, right. this is where I grew up. It's a great documentary. And then um, Exiles fans have heard this, but Charlie Chaplin's autobiography, you know, before he's films or he's in musical theater, British vaudeville, whatever they call it. He like stays with his family, a tenement family or some sort of thing like that. And they take a liking to him and they go, I'll show you something. And they take him to this other room that just has like a cot. Read Chaplin's autobiography. It's like if if you're a film, that's one of the 10 books you should read. I'm remembering this nutty, but it's just a cot, empty room with like a gas thing or a light bulb or something. And they roll out a teenage boy with no arms or legs from under the bed. And they stand him up and start going like, singing and clapping. And the the kid kind of flops around and Chaplin's just horrified. And they put the kid back on the thing and scoot him under the, roll him under the bed. And Chaplin like runs away. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, gotta do that. Gotta do that somehow. Working out the story and it was Jim Wong that goes, the mother's under the bed. And I'm like, uh, you just see Freud and Joseph Campbell going, yes. <laughs> 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 that was all. That was and she all. also starred in, uh, you worked with that actress a few times now. Yeah, Karen Conneval. She is probably unknown, best known as Maurice in the new Planet of the Apes movies. Mm-hmm. Oh. She's a motion capture. She did X-Files this year. She was the mother in Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. She says Santa Claus is dead. She's a really great person, a great actress. And just every time I get a chance to use her. But it was interesting because I hadn't met her close to 10 years. And they brought her into audition for Black Christmas. And I'm like, I don't want to audition her you know and then she came in like there she was and like looking at each other i'm like there's not a month of my life that i don't have to talk about you and she goes i know <laughs> and she told me the story that she was at a dinner party after that came out and people were going did you see this exiles and thing and there's this episode and there's mother under the bed and karen goes that that was me and they go what she goes i'm an actor so she doesn't look anything like that obviously right, right. <laughs> and um she goes no that wasn't you and then she just goes i'm hungry and the lady goes <laughs> <laughs> my boys take care of me <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, that aired, what, was that aired October 11th 96 I remember I taped it on VHS 
and shopped it around to all my family during the holidays. I'm like, you got to watch this. You got to watch this. Just shocked everybody, uh, man. And it, it's just it's so gruesome. You know, it's like, how did you get on TV? But I didn't, you know what? I didn't think there were other episodes that I thought were worse. There was one episode where it was like a PTA were really Satan worshipers. And then, oh, you yeah, know, yeah. I thought that one was more disturbing. The head of production, after he read the script, the home script, he called, he was a friend of ours and he calls up and he goes, you're sick. <laughs> was that about the time or that episode where they started attaching all the warnings the tv well i'm told ah that the d l v right those i'm told that was because of home mm. oh uh, wow. that it was just before you know 14 or whatever and then when we're on millennium it was chris carter's show jim and i were running millennium the second year and the ratings are not good and we're like you know the mom and the one brother are still alive <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, why don't we have Lance Hendrickson finds them? And everyone goes, oh, yeah, everybody flips. And uh, Peter Roth, who was the head of the network, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And we check Karen Conoval's availability, and we're like, Jim and I start plotting it out. And then I get a call from Peter Roth, who's the head of Fox, and he's like, okay, look, the lobbyist for Fox calls up and says, those characters never appear on TV again. (laughs) And and that was that. Wow. Was that because until the trash man finds them? (laughs) Right. 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 See, for a second, <laughs> when, I saw, when I saw the title was called Home Again, I thought, you know, oh, this is going to be a sequel to that first I, one. I trolled people a little bit. There. You did? Totally. <laughs> yeah, the last episode we ever wrote before we let was called Never Again. Ah. The tattoo, Jody Foster was a tattoo that talked to Rodney. And um, so I was just kind of being a punk. Glenn <laughs> <laughs> Morgan's a punk rocker. <laughs> so I, I know your, your, your brother, Darren, also wrote some of these episodes. And of course, you won an Emmy for one of them. That's yes. Uh, uh, Clyde, yeah. Clyde Brookman. Yes, yeah, that's, that's right. a great one. Am I mistaken, or was he the fluke worm? The fluke man. Yeah, yes. that was him. Yeah, I don't know why. He's also the ho- he's also <laughs> the host. Yeah, that, that's a fluke the man. host. Yeah, that was him. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, there was one time he was getting Chris Carter's like, "You want to play the fluke man?" And I was like, "You know, Darren wasn't thin or anything, or I and." okay darren goes up there and uh and the north shore studios like 5 30 in the afternoon he starts getting into makeup jim and i go to see him like hey darren well we're gonna go have drinks and dinner we come back at midnight and go to his trailer he had just finished with him and he's lying on a cot it just smelled like glue (laughs) (laughs) it was just glue and uh they had no slot for him to go to the bathroom oh no But he also was in an episode, uh, Small Potatoes. Vince Gilligan wrote the part for him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because he was uh, so good as a fluke man. Darren is just great. He's your little brother. Do you guys compete in kind of no, a, a fun gave, way? I gave up a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Back in New York, I played baseball. I make the all-star team. Like, hey, pretty good. And then Darren came in. He was like the Lou Gehrig. I'm like, okay. And then he moved to... San Diego, and I got into theater. I'm like, okay, I'll do this, he'll do that. And then he got into theater, and he was like, brought down the house. We went to Loyola Film School. He had a three-picture deal with TriStar before he ever got out of... Wow. So I just, I give up. <laughs> and he's, yeah. and, yeah, he, he's and he won an Emmy, right? You won it, yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but he wasn't in Trick or Treat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Can I say something about Trick or Treat? You kill it in Trick or Treat, man. The 1986, the 1986 Trick or Treat. Yes. yes. 1986, yes. Glenn Morgan in 1986, you have chops as an actor. <laughs> For sure. Was that the first acting job you did or were you doing? Yeah. Um, Joel and Michael, who had sort of gave us our start, sort of. And then uh, they had a deal with Dino De Laurentiis. And so they wrote this movie and they gave Jim and I, can you polish the script up? So it was all our friends making it and they were about to go off. And the part was going to be played by the guy that um, was the brother 
brother in E.T. You know, he dropped out or something. I had acted in the other guy's student films. And, you know, was, everybody does that. So Dave Witz, who now is a blind producer or whatever on Dunkirk and everything, you know, he's been around. And he said, oh, you should get Glenn. And so then I went in to read for Charlie Martin Smith, probably because they needed somebody at the last minute that I got the part. That was great. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah I was telling Charlie Martin Smith, Terry the Toad in American Graffiti, mm-hmm. who's the accountant in... Uh, Untouchables. He uh, screen tested for Luke Skywalker because, you know, they'd all been American graffiti. And I just like learned so much for him. And then he told me when he was making the uh, Untouchables, he he told me this. He says he's having a screening of Trick or Treat for the cast and crew of Untouchables. And he says, you know, I sit next to Sean Connery, Glenn. And, you know, Trick or Treat's not a kind of movie Sean Connery sees for <laughs> And he says, I swear that, like, you were going down the hall, he'd go, Roger, don't open that door. <laughs> so he goes, you're Sean Connery's favorite actor. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> for advice for people who are writers, how do you get a script noticed in Hollywood? Is being good, good enough? Probably no. Cynically, no. You just got to hang in there. You got to keep doing it. You got to, I think it's Stephen King or the one I hear is Dr. Seuss said, the important thing is to get your ass in the chair every day. You don't even have to do anything. It's just that you have to make the intent to do it. You got to get in that habit of writing every day. It's just a great, incredible deal of, of luck. I mean, all those people I was just talking about, when I got out of film school, my friend Patty, Patricia Witcher, who now produces the Thor movies and stuff like that. She got me a job. All of us, she was working at Sandy Howard, who was low budget. Angel Hooker by mm-hmm. Honor Student by oh, yeah. kind of movie, movie. And um, she's like got us all jobs because we're cheap. And it's like I was answering the phone. She, I'm answering. The phone. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Glenn, if you can't get this down by noon, you're fired. And mm-hmm. I was. <laughs> oh, no. So then you just start to. I was a runner. I cut foreign trailers for him. And then he had a bunch of scripts. And I read the. He had the boys next door that Sandy had written. And you just go, Can I? I have a way of doing this. He's like, Yeah, go ahead. So you don't pick up that. It's total luck. And so you just have to keep going until that luck breaks your way, you know, and, uh, but you have to keep in order. You can't just sit around. Luck's not going to come to you. Right. You know, you also talk about like, you have your own place to go. You need a place to go. Like you have a place you write, like in your garage, right? Nowhere near as good as this room. I want to write. In this <laughs> I think my writing available. <laughs> no, but you have, a, you have a place you can kind of get away. Right. And yeah. kind of like check out, unplug and just kind of focus. That's important, right? So but we have a garage and we have an attic, which is haunted, unfinished, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> unfinished. It reminds me of my grandparents mm-hmm. back in Rochester. And um, like the when I had a cat, I'd go up there and it was like Willard. I got the line. I smell mice. It was like, I'd go up the stairs and like, oh no. And then, you know, there'd be dead rats. Up there oh, no. <laughs> and um, Kristen's always like, we should fix this up. I'm like, no. <laughs> right. That's Stephen King too. Everybody no, he talks about that. Find right? your spot. It's good to yeah. find a spot where you can just kind of like shut everything out and just write. It's almost like a muscle memory is that once you sit in that chair and you have your coffee or right. whatever your thing is and uh, you go right there, it doesn't take you two hours to sink into it. With horror having so many subgenres, do you think that that's one of the easier ones to write for? One, just for filmmakers, is so much more fun. You can do flashbacks. You can do, you just play with the form all over the place. One thing I like about horror is it's the one thing that's always like a little ahead of the rest of the world. I mean, we're going back to Serling. So Invasion of the Body Snatchers can talk about McCarthyism or Godzilla can talk about the horrors of nuclear, nuclear war right. and, you know, all that Rosemary's Baby and could foresee the Nixon administration. <laughs> right. You know, that was always fascinating to me that the X-Files was so big, kind of in the Clinton years. And I'm like, is that a reaction to Reagan Bush or is that foreseeing what's happening 9-11? 
But so the genre can always like talk about what's going on to all of us in a way that's couched on the way that John Ford could talk about the depression doing a Western. Same thing with film noir too. I know you love film noir. Film noir like would yeah. sneak a lot of things in or they try different techniques without any big studios watching them and stuff like but that. Yeah, you know, all that noir comes a lot from, you know, German horror, lights and shadows. And Do you have any favorite um, noir movies? Psycho is a noir movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, it's true. I think that's like everything. I was on Bionic Woman. Oh, oh yeah. Awesome. For a minute, thank God. Oh, it was a nightmare. But it was on the Universal lot. And we were on the Lancashire side. No, no, uh, Barham side. The suits were on the Lancashire side. <laughs> so when you had to go talk to them, you had to take a golf cart through there. <laughs> so my brother was on that show too. So we'd get in the golf cart and I would go there and I'd go, oh, that is where Lawrence Talbot bought the cane. And then I'd go home and check it out. I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And, then, and so then he knew, like, that's the Black Pussy Cafe from the bank dick. We weren't, we weren't working. <laughs> and so the one day, it was a horrible situation. One day they, I get a call and they go, the suit tells me, like, I have to tell Jeff Zucker that I'm doing something. And I go, uh, and I'm it. He goes, that's right. I go, okay, I've never been fired from anything. So I put the phone down. I'm like, I was kind of happy about it, but, you know, I've never been fired and I don't want to be fired. So, one, I know that the writing staff was like 12 people. They, they kind of like me. But more importantly, they're like, I knew that they were going to think, am I next? I'm like, okay, I need to collect myself here. And so I get up and I go by my assistant. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I go and get in the golf cart. And I just go drive. I go up, drive up to the psycho house and pull over. And I'm like, I walk on the porch. I look around. I look around. And if you go in the back on the side, there's a door. And I open up the door and there's like nothing in there. It's just completely blank, empty with yeah. like grass shin high. I closed the door and I sit on the steps and just kind of collected myself. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's like and you're a happy I, place, huh? Right. <laughs> it was so great. It was worth getting fired. And then I go, okay, well then it's also why cycle means so much to me as well. Wow. That's awesome. awesome. Two questions. Is Twilight Zone going to do it in second season? And if so, are you going to be involved? And is X-Files coming back? First question. X-Files is not coming back. It's not coming back? No. And um, I don't know about the other two. Okay. <laughs> that was a cheery <laughs> way to go. <laughs> um, would you like to direct another horror film? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Glenn Morgan. Come yeah. Come on. Yes. It's not, it's not up. Yeah, of course. Bob Weinstein sent me to, I'm on death row film jail after Black Christmas because, uh, which is a whole nother. But that was so long ago. People come out of film jail. Happens all the time. Yeah, not. Break you well, out. but then. How do we break you out? Break them organized. Yeah. yeah. Go fund me. We'll, let's well, no, start a GoFundMe. Go, you know, <laughs> go fund me. I did a couple X-Files and that's, those are. Yeah, those yeah. are those yeah. fun. Band-Aid Nose Man, our home again was freaking, that was a horror film. That was yeah. horror. Yeah, he yeah. tore people yeah. apart. Tore people apart. Yeah. That shit was crazy great. Yeah. Gets to do a film like that. Well, I wouldn't want to be here and not, when you talk about home, like if I'm going to go through and that's the other thing to tell other kids it's never just you so kim manners you know he's gone he directed home you know, dave nutter did so many now dave nutter does game of thrones and he had like 16 pilots in a row that went to air shirley walker who is like the first kind of female that she did memoirs of an invisible man to, to do a score mm -hmm. she did escape from la with him and so she did space of them beyond and willard and, mm -hmm. and black christmas and i just really miss her she was like a really great and so you know that's the other thing to keep in mind there's so many people it's such a team thing to go find those people that help you out and make you better and you make them better and uh 
I think that's the way to get. And then they break you out of film jail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Escape that's from the key. Yeah. yeah. You got a gang. You need a gang. <laughs> Find your gang. Yeah. Well, I can't, you know, I know that we've all hung out and, and we saw The Nun and uh, Jen yeah. Wexler's movie yeah. in my backyard mm-hmm. and stuff. And um, it was an honor to be here. I really, you're my people. Oh, yeah. man. Thank you, Glenn, for coming down. Yeah. yeah. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 46. Special thanks to our guest, writer, director, and producer, Glenn Morgan. From Black Christmas to Willard to the iconic X-Files, the Final Destination series, and now the Twilight Zone on CBS All Access, Glenn Morgan will inspire you with his passion for the genre that you love. He is the real deal, and we love him dearly. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tahada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation. Bye.